right, well, good morning to you guys. We're so glad to see you guys today. Uh, we now know who does not own a boat or a camper, and it's you guys. So, uh, no, it's a, it's a great day. We're so glad you guys are here. What crazy weather, right? Like, honestly, this is insane. Uh, but summer is around the corner, and uh, we got a lot of stuff planned coming up this summer. Uh, if you're a middle school or high school student, there's a lot that Spencer has planned. And so he made a video he's going to show. We're going to watch it together real quick. So if you're a middle school or high school or know somebody, please pay attention right now. Hey, good morning, Journey family. Spencer here. I just wanted to stop by really quick and tell you that we are so excited for this summer in Journey students. We have so much coming up for your student. Uh, right off the bat, we've got camp coming up in just two weeks just for your middle schoolers, and we can't wait for that. But actually why I'm here is because I want to talk to you real quick about something we have coming up just for your high schoolers. So high schoolers in the room, raise your hand, high five someone, take a look up here. This is just for you, all right? We are doing something this year called High School Beach Camp. We are going to the beach, man, and we are so pumped about it. We're going to be partnering with Fern Creek Christian Church up in Louisville. We're going to be hopping in some vans, driving down to Laguna Beach, Florida, with some amazing volunteers and some amazing other students um, across town. And we're going to party on the beach, and it's going to be fun, but we um, are most excited about the fact that we're going to spend the week drawing close to God. So if you're in high school, we invite you to come. Um, and I will also say that we need parent volunteers to come help us, to come chaperone the trip. So parents, if you got some time off, if you want a free trip to the beach, come hang out with us. It's happening July 11th through the 16th, and we are so excited about it. Also, side note, if you're in eighth grade and you're going into ninth grade, you can be there too. Guys, this summer in Journey Students is gonna be amazing, and we hope that you will join us as we have fun all summer long. Thanks. All right, so if you have a middle school or high school or camps up in two weeks, I'm at middle school camp, the speaker again this year, so I'd love to have your kids there that week, and then they're having the high school week. If you're a parent, um, if you're not a parent, you get a free trip to the beach for a week, and you can just walk away from the kids and just leave them and just, I'm just kidding, you don't want to do that. But anyway, uh, so we, if you're interested in that, make sure and see Spencer. Uh, if you have a high school or middle school kid, make sure and get signed up for that stuff. Now, there's a ton of stuff coming up this summer. Obviously, the food trucks are out there today. Make sure and stop by. Flavorville truck is here and the cookie dough truck, so make sure and stop by. Um, I know probably plenty of you guys got cookouts and stuff coming up, but grab a taco or some cookie dough on your way out. Now, we are in the second week of this series, uh, Prestige, and we're going to start a conversation. We're going to finish next week. Um, but the idea behind this series is simply this. So when we think of prestige, we think of prestigious things. Um, but years ago, in 2006, I watched the movie Prestige, uh, which is a movie about two magicians trying to pull off the ultimate magic trick. And essentially what you learn in the movie is the word prestige um, is Latin, and it actually means deception. It means an illusion. And, and we talked about kind of last week this idea of are there things in our life that we chase after, but in reality ends up becoming deceptive, or it's actually an illusion that we chase after these things, and they don't have the fulfillment that we'd once hoped. Now, when it comes to magic, every magician knows that the eyes are the key to a good magic trick, right? And so what a magician will do is they get you to focus on the wrong thing through misdirection, and then all of a sudden, they can pull off the trick. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a good magi magician up close or not. Several years ago, I've told the story before, we were at Chewy's um, eating uh, dinner after um, a Halloween event at the zoo, and there was a guy that was our waiter who was also a street magician. 
And it, what he does, and I've still to this day, like it's the devil's magic, I'm convinced. But uh, he literally, he had me pick out a card and he showed me it was a deck of cards. I flipped through all of them, nothing special about the deck of cards. He had me pick out a card and it ended up being like the, the ace of diamonds, I think it was. He put it in between my, I, put, I literally grabbed it out of the deck, put it in between my hands like that. For like 10 seconds, he's explaining the trick. I never take my hands apart. He never touches my hands, and he hits my hand with the top of the deck. I open my, my hand, and it's the queen of spades. And on top of the deck was the ace of diamonds. Now, I'm telling you, I, I still to this day get freaked out by it because I'd never been a part of something like that. But there's no way to explain in my mind what he did. I know there was at some point some misdirection where he gets my eyes to be pulled away, and he does something with the card. Now, this is important because in reality, this is life as well, right? That our eyes are the things that kind of lead us. And if in life, these different forces that are pulling at us can get us to focus our eyes on the wrong thing, then there can be some misdirection. Jesus knew this thousands of years ago. And in Matthew chapter six, when talking to his disciples, he says this, he says, the eye is the light for the whole body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the only light you have is really darkness, then you have the worst darkness. And when I was thinking about this, I was really thinking about this idea that our eyes, when we look around, especially in our culture today, in the world we live in today, we're drawn to so many things. And there's so many things that we see that we think would be good in our life or helpful in our life, but the reality is sometimes they're harmful or ultimately in the long run of what we want to become, they would not be helpful to who we are becoming. Several years ago, we taught this series based on this book called Comparison Trap by a guy named Andy Stanley. And in this book, he talks about the land of Ur. And the land of Ur is simply the idea that everywhere we look, we see more Ur. And we all live in this land. And the idea is that no matter where you look, there's always someone that's richer, skinnier, smarter, wiser, taller, prettier, tanner, happier, hipper, fitter, faster, stronger, stronger, or more talented, right? And so everywhere we look, there's always this er. There's this, there's this thing where we see other people, we see what they have, and we look around and it makes us feel bad about ourselves. It also makes us compare ourselves to them because we want what they have. And all of this starts by us seeing things, right? And social media has not made this any better, has it, right? I mean, we think about it. I mean, we think about Instagram and Facebook and, and already this weekend, you know, it's Memorial Day weekend. It's a long weekend. People go on trips. People do things. I'm sure that some of us have got on social media and seen our friends and family out doing things, right? And they always post the best things and the happy things and the good moments. And, and so some of us, maybe if we're stuck at home this weekend or we had to work this weekend, we see this and all of a sudden there becomes a little bit of jealousy, right? Because these people seem to be having better weekends or whatever it is, right? So there's always this err problem where we always see what other people have and wish that we had it. The other problem with err is that there's another side of err. There's always people that are heavier, poorer, shorter, slower, nerdier, right? And all of a sudden now you feel superior, right? And it becomes this problem where we have this thing where we're always comparing ourselves to each other. And that can lead to jealousy, it can lead to envy, it can lead to stuff we're going to talk more about next week, but can also lead to these feelings where our eyes are always being drawn to what we don't have rather than focusing on what we do have. 
And the other problem with this idea of living in this land of Ur, but also this world of comparison that we find ourselves in, is that eventually it's not that you dislike the other people because they seem to have better lives or happier lives or whatever it is. The problem is for a lot of us, what ends up happening is we start to dislike ourselves because we realize that we're unhappy with ourselves. And, and so we beat ourselves up, we eat ourselves to death, we starve ourselves to death, we medicate ourselves in ways because we're trying to compete with what someone else is doing, someone else's life. In the book, he talks about this idea that there's no win in comparison. Then when we go around constantly comparing ourselves, there's no win. It gets dangerous, it gets out of hand, right? I mean, some of us are in debt, all right, because we've been trying to live somebody else's lifestyle, or some of us, we're dieting ourselves to death, or we always feel bad about our bodies and putting ourselves down. Some of us, because of the other things we see other parents doing with their kids, we are driving our kids crazy, right? We are wearing them out. Some of us, we're killing ourselves academically or professionally because we're trying to compete with somebody, right? Some of us, you have brothers or sisters that you don't get along with very well. And it's not because they're bad people. It's because you're jealous or envious of their lifestyle, or maybe you have friends that there's like, you ever have like friends, there's like this tension below the surface, you know what I'm talking about, where like there's a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of envy or whatever it is going on right there. And then on top of all of that, you think about this idea that every time we turn on our browser or turn on the TV or we open a magazine or a newspaper, we're reminded constantly of all of the things that we don't have all of the things that we could have. And if we had these things, then they would make us happier, better, more fulfilled, richer. And so this is why the eyes, Jesus says, are so important. Because when we see these things, we're drawn to these things. And the other thing about this is so many times it feels like we're in competition with people and they don't even know we're in a competition. Do you know what I'm talking about, right? Where you're jealous or envious of somebody or you want something or you dislike that person for whatever reason it is. And they don't even know that they're in this competition with you or they're in this place where they're making you feel bad about yourself. And so why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we allow this to be a part of our life? Now, thousands of years before Jesus talks about this, there's this guy named Solomon. And, and we looked at, last week, we looked at a, a proverb and we looked at some Psalms and, and we're gonna look at some more next week. And Solomon is gonna be the wisest man to ever live, one of the most powerful men to live, one of the most richest men to ever live. And, and so at the end of his life, he writes these books. And one of them he writes is Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is an incredibly depressing book, okay? So don't read it, all right, unless you're ready to be brought down a little bit. But in Ecclesiastes chapter two, he's gonna make an observation, Okay, and here's what he says, and we're going to read kind of through the chapter. So he's in this bad place, and so he says this, I decided to cheer myself up with some wine while my mind was still thinking wisely. I wanted to find a way to enjoy myself and see what was good for people to do during their few days of life. And then I did great things. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. Now, we got to pause there, okay? When, when Solomon says he built houses and vineyards, what he means is he built forests. It's true. You could actually still go over there to where they believed that Solomon's kingdom was and his castle was, and there's trees that should not be there. There's forests that should not be there, and these have gone on for thousands of years since him. Listen, I made gardens and parks, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made pools of water for myself and used them to water my growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and slaves were also born in my house. I had large herds and flocks, more than anyone in Jerusalem had ever had before. I also gathered silver and gold for myself, treasures from kings and other areas. I had male and female singers and all the women a man could ever want. 
I became very famous, even greater than anyone who had lived in Jerusalem before me. My wisdom helped me in all of this. Anything I saw and wanted, I got for myself. I did not miss any pleasure I desired. Now, before you think that this is hyperbole, let's leave it there. Um, I'm sure that some of you guys are going to have some amazing cookouts this weekend, right? I'm sure you're going to have your little pony keg and your three racks of ribs and your potato salad, and it's going to be epic, right? Okay. But Solomon threw parties. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 4, we get a small taste of a party that he would throw, okay? And in 1 Kings chapter 4, to prepare for this party, it says this, to feed the people at his table, he had 195 bushels of fine flour, 390 bushels of grain, 10 cows that were fed on good grain, 20 cows that were raised in the fields, 100 sheep, three kinds of deer, and fattened birds of all kinds is what he would serve at his party. Now, a few weeks ago for our wedding night, I made four briskets, and I thought that was pretty impressive, right? But 10 cows fed the good grain, 20 cows that they just turned into hamburger or whatever, 100 sheep. I mean, he threw parties. There's stories of his parties lasting weeks, weeks upon weeks. So no matter how good of a party you may think that you're able to throw, it cannot compete with the parties that Solomon would throw. I mean, he literally did not withhold anything within life. He goes on to say, I was pleased with everything that I did, and this pleasure was a reward for all of my hard work. But then I looked at what I had done, and I thought about all the hard work, and suddenly I realized it was useless, like chasing the wind. Now, I want to leave that up there for a second. Have you ever got there where you worked really, really, really hard for something and, and you, you worked your butt off and you finally were able to buy that or do that or succeed in that or have that accomplishment or have that title. And all of a sudden you got there and you realized it wasn't worth it, right? And this is like this ongoing thing. Now, this idea of chasing the wind, we're going to hold on to that because we're going to talk more about that next week. But, but here's what he says. For thousands of years, I mean, he's, he's, he's seen through Israel's history. And listen, this is still going on today, that we do all of these things, we have all of these accomplishments that we think are going to fulfill us. And then at the end of the day, when we look back, we realize that maybe it didn't fulfill us as much as we had hoped. And then he makes another great observation. This is one of the ones where we get in trouble because it's not only that we're doing all of this stuff for ourselves, but Solomon realizes something, that some of the reason we're doing this stuff is actually not for ourselves, it's for others. He says this, verse four, head four, I realize the reason people work hard and try to succeed, they are jealous of each other. Thousands of years ago, he makes this observation that the reason some of us work so hard is because we're jealous of each other and we want to be able to do these things to show people how talented we are and great we are and rich we are and powerful we are. So he's like, these people will do all of this work and it's because they're jealous of each other. This too is useless, like chasing the wind. Some say it is foolish to fold your hands and do nothing because you will starve to death. And maybe so, but I say it is better be content, and there's the key word, with what little you have. Otherwise, you will always be struggling for more, and that is chasing the wind. Again, I saw something here on earth that was useless. I saw a man who had no family, no son or brother. He had always worked hard, but was never satisfied with what he had. He never asked for himself, for whom am I working so hard? Have you ever asked that? Why are you striving so hard? 
who is it ultimately for? Why don't I let myself enjoy life? This is also very sad and useless. Again, I told you, don't read Ecclesiastes on a good day, okay? All right. And he gets to this point where he realizes, and he asks some great questions, like, listen, why are we always struggling? Why can't we be content with what we have? And at the end of the day, who are we actually doing some of these things for? Have you ever done something, bought something, not because you wanted it, because you wanted other people to be impressed with it, that you could have it, accomplish it, achieve it? And see, that word content, that's the key, right? I mean, we see that word, and it's littered throughout Scripture, and we hear people talk about it, but how many of us have actually tried to be content? And how many of us buy into the lie that, you know what, I do want to be content, but if I just had this, then I'd be content, right? You ever got the thing that would make you content, right? Did it make you content? No. So how did we get into this mess and what do we do with it? How do, how do we get out of this place where we, we bought into this illusion that if we have these things, if we do these things, if we achieve these things, then we'll be content with life. Then we won't have this struggle that Solomon talks about that's been going on for 5,000 years and even beyond that. Well, this verse we started with, where just talks about the eyes, he, he connects a couple of ideas. So we're going to jump back into what he says in, in, in in chapter six. And so he talks about this idea of letting your eyes be your guide and understand this. And he says this, therefore, I tell you. Now, when he says, therefore, he's connecting things. So he's given us the problem. He's talked about worry. He's talked about anxiousness in the, the scriptures before this. He's talked about all these things. And here's what's interesting. A lot of our worry and anxiousness, when we kind of break it down, is actually tied to some of this, isn't it? It's tied to our wanting people to think that we are successful. It's tied to wanting people to think that we've accomplished things. It's tied to these things. It's tied to making feeling we are fulfilled in life for ourselves and others. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now, for anybody um, that, that is worrisome or anxious about their life, right? Is that helpful, right? Has anybody ever been like, just don't worry about it? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not worried about it anymore. Good, good. Thanks for the advice, okay? So Jesus, thanks for that advice, okay? Just don't worry about it. Got it. He goes on. He says, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Now, I want to stay there for a second because, see, in their culture, these are serious concerns, Right? They don't have access to the food. We talked about portion last week. If you were here last week, we talked about this great verse where it talks about you are my portion. And the reason they had to have portions often is because they didn't have enough food to go around for everybody to have all-you-can-eat buffets, right? Okay, it wasn't like Solomon's life all the time. Most people did not live like Solomon. And so they had to have a portion, a set-aside amount of food that they could eat to get them through the day, to keep them alive. And so these are not worries for us, right? Hardly anybody in this room is worried about what you're going to eat today, right? Your concern is how much you're going to eat, right? Right? I'm doing Weight Watchers. How many points is this hot dog, right? You know, I mean, that's the thing, right? Most of us are not worried about what we're going to drink. I mean, how many of us in this room have honestly ever worried about whether we have access to clean water, right? We don't worry about that. What you will wear, none of us worry about what we'll wear. We did worry because I put all my winter clothes up and I had to pull out a hoodie today because it's so cold this morning, right? But that's my only real concern. That's not even a real concern because I'm coming into a building with heating and air, right? But these were serious concerns of their time. Now, I want to stress this because I do want us to kind of take a look at this. 
These aren't our concerns, but there are people in the world today that these are still concerns. And in fact, Nathan and Justy, who are in Africa right now, just sent me a picture um, this week of them handing out clothes, our old clothes, to kids in the orphanage and who are incredibly grateful because they don't have access to those things. And, and so when we think about our worries, and let's think about this, how much of our worry, especially rooted in these superficial things, is because we're really worried about it or it's because we're worried about what other people think about us, right? Do you ever connect that? How many of it is you're really worried about what you're going to wear versus you're worried about what somebody will think about what you wear? You ever think about that? How much of your worry is you're actually worried about what you're going to eat versus you're worried, what will they think about what I made, right? And so here's some questions. Do you have a house? Most of us do. And clothes, yes. More food. Did you know that Americans, on average, we throw away, okay, about 70% is what they're estimating of things that we, we purchase sometimes. That is, we throw away almost 70% of what we could purchase rather than consuming it. I mean, that's insane, right? Okay, how about this? We have water. Um, we have a house for our car. We all have garages, right? We don't, most of it's filled with junk that we bought to help make other people impressed with us that we don't use, right? Okay. Um, we have private education or public education. We have high-speed internet. We have smartphones, right? We have access to information. We have access to our bank account. We have access to healthcare. We have access to doctors. We have access to all of this stuff. And I'm not saying you don't have things in your life to worry about, but do you? I mean, think about it. Now, the reason that we're still so worried and anxious sometimes in life is it's not because we're comparing ourselves to the people Jesus is talking about, and it's not because we're comparing ourselves to people in third world countries. We're comparing ourselves to our neighbors and our friends and our in-laws. And so he continues, is life not more than food in the body? And then he says this, look at the birds of the air. Jesus sounds like a hippie here, doesn't he? Just look at the birds, right? Just look at the birds, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And, and here's the question. You know you're more valuable than a bird, right? And you know that God has given you value because he created man in his image. And this is the question we have to wrestle with. Do you believe that you have value to God? And then he goes on and he says this. And which of you... Um, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now, here's the question, and here is helpful information, all right? Can anybody, by worrying, make your life better? Okay, let me ask you, if you're a worrier, and I know this can sound so insensitive, does worrying make your life better? No, you're, the answer is no, and you know that, right? It's just no. The other thing that's fascinating about this, and we know this because science is catching up with stuff and, and health professionals, it actually is true that when you worry and when you're anxious, it actually not only takes away from the quality of your life, it also takes away from the quantity of your life. And so thousands of years ago, Jesus gives us this insight and he says, can worrying actually do this? Can it make it better, right? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And so let's stop right there. So he's even doing a throwback to what we just talked about. This guy, Solomon, who, who never withheld anything. He always had the finest of everything. 
And God's like, look, look, listen, even Solomon in all of his splendor couldn't compete with what God does naturally. Now, about this worry thing, let's, let's hop back on that one just for, for a second. This is not about just set back and just hope it all works out, okay? Because I think that's where some of us go to. Well, I can't do that. I can't. And okay, that's, um, that's fatalism. We, we don't actually don't agree with that. It's also not be lazy. The Bible talks a whole lot about lazy people, and it's not good. So if you're lazy, just know it's not good for you, okay? What this is talking about is that we do what we can. So we make the call, we put in the application, we balance the books, we try to give our kids the best advantage, we sell the things we need to sell, we get rid of the debt we need to get rid of, we go to the doctors, we have the surgery, we eat right, we exercise, we run, we do what we can, but after we do what we can, we set back and we realize God cares about you more than the birds. And so you do what you can, and then when you get to the end of what you can do, okay, you hand it over. Worrying, okay, no matter how much worry you do, it doesn't change the context of the situation, does it? Have you ever worried yourself out of a situation? No. And if God can close the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is stone in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Isn't that a little bit insulting about Jesus? Or maybe it's Jesus knows something that we don't. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Now we're all Gentiles and in the context of what he's saying is basically people that don't believe in God. So what he's saying is, listen, all of this worry you have, that's great if you wanna be just like the people that don't believe in God. But for those that believe in God, don't forget that God exists and that God holds things together and God created the birds and the grass and all of these things. See, if you want to worry about things, if you want to be anxious about things, that's fine. But realize that's the same attitude the people that don't believe in God have. And then he says this, and your father, sorry, go back, sorry, verse 32, and your father knows that you need them. It's not like God doesn't know that we have certain needs. He created us. And so he gets to this point where Jesus has kind of made fun of us. He's told us, you're not as smart as a bird. You don't have faith in the flower. You're as bad as the pagans. And then he's going to give us the solution. And I think the solution is this. It goes back to the eyes thing. It's what we're drawn to. See, the issue is your devotion, and your devotion is often described by your eyes. What are your eyes seeking? What are you actively seeking? What are you actively looking at? Right? What is your guiding light? You see, see, I can tell most of you in this room what you're devoted to. You know how I know? Give me access to your bank account and your social media, and I'll tell you real quick. Right? Let me see your phone. Let me see your pictures. I'll tell you what you're devoted to. Verse 33. So here's the solution. But seek first. Again, where you look first is his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, now this is not seek first church, okay? This is not what this is talking about. This is not, that, that's not what this is talking about at all. What this is talking about is you seek first the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is all that he's created, all that he's made that is good, all of the things that he's done, and what he's pursuing, 
Okay, well, what is God pursuing in this world? God is pursuing healthy relationships. God is pursuing restoration. God is pursuing justice, okay? God is pursuing us to be living the best lives that we could possibly live. This is what he's pursuing. This is all encompassed in the kingdom. We often misunderstand what the kingdom of God is, right? But it's all of this. But seek first the kingdom of God and the goodness of it and his righteousness. And so here's the thing. This is to be our devotion, seeking first the kingdom of God in our life, in our marriages, in our family, with our finances, with our time, okay? And this is really important because, see, your devotion determines where your emotions are, right? Because what you're devoted to determines your emotional state. Because if you're devoted to your family and your family's not going very well, guess where your emotions are at, right? If you're devoted to your finances and your finances aren't going very well, guess where your emotions are at? And so what he's trying to do is get you to anchor your devotion to something that's bigger than you, that's outside of you, that's more important than kind of these little kingdoms that we try to build like Solomon. And your emotions determine what you're worried about. And as long as your primary devotion and the things that you're seeking the most is what people think about you, how you look, whether they like that post, if they think you're cool, if your kids measure up to all the other kids... As long as you're comparing and looking outside, right, as long as your primary devotions are those things, you're constantly going to be worrying. You're constantly going to be anxious. And so the invitation is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then he says this, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow. Sorry, Elena, I'm jumping around. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so the start of this conversation is Jesus wants us to know, hey, listen, listen all that stuff that you're worried about, don't worry about it, okay? And I know that's not helpful to you to worry right now. But he's saying, see, see I'm not gonna tell you not to worry. See, what you have to do is you have to tie your your vision, tie your emotions, tie your devotion to something else. I love Corey Timboom's quote. She says, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its strength. It, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties the day of its strength. Now, for some of you, let me say this that a lot of our worry that we're talking about right now is superficial stuff. It's worried about people think about us, whether we're cool enough, or we live in the right neighborhood, or we wear the right clothes, or our kids' expectations, or whatever. But some of us, the worry in our life is we live in a broken world, and we're experiencing pain. We're experiencing deep sorrow for different reasons, and illness, and disease, and loss, and all of these things. I mean, this whole weekend is a weekend where we celebrate the people that have given the ultimate sacrifice for our country, and our freedoms, and all of this. And it can be a painful weekend for a lot of people, the reality of that. And I'm not trying to knock all of our worries or say that we shouldn't worry about anything, but but let's be honest. In the grip of our anxiety, we often start to question whether God really cares about us. We can lose sight of the work that he's done already in our lives, the goodness he has brought out, and the blessings he has poured out. And the ultimate reality is, is that if we worry, I mean, worry in itself has never solved anything. Being anxious about things have never made things better. When we worry, we find ourselves awake at night, fearful of what is to come. No amount of worrying can change your circumstance. No amount of worrying can prevent the things that you fear the most. And so instead of investing our thoughts in that worry, letting it grow, because that's what it will do, it will continue to grow, what if we invest our thoughts in something bigger? 
What if we invest our time in God and the remembrance of this character and the promises that he's made? See, last week, it goes back to last week. It was this idea that this, this psalmist, he has this issue where he sees all these people doing bad things and their life seems to be going well. And his ultimate reality was it's because I'm focused on them and I'm not focused on being in the presence of God. And once he put his devotion in the right place, all the other stuff just kind of didn't matter as much anymore. The storm may still rage around you, but we know that we are anchored to something that is secure. So the invitation by Jesus here is to simply say, okay, listen, okay, all this stuff that you're worried about, listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but just know that A, God knows, and God wants to meet your needs because you do have value, you do have worth. And I think the question for us is the reality is, are we worried about those things because they're real worries, or are we just worried about those things because we're comparing ourselves to everyone else? There, there's this powerful invitation by Paul. He says this in Philippians chapter four. He says, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Now, wouldn't you like to be there? Let's be honest. Wouldn't you just love to be there? Like, I am content with wherever I am. I know how to live on almost nothing or everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. I mean, how many of us would give anything to be right there? The war in our minds, the war in our relationships, worry and anxiety and jealousy and greed and all of these things, just to learn to be content. And wouldn't you like to know more about that? And if you want to, you'll just have to come back next week.